Bonjour. I'm Caitlin Kaju, an animator and illustrator. And I'm Ira Marks. I write and draw comics. And this is a podcast about the mysterious and magical process of bringing alien cartoon stories to life. Ooh, and in today's episode, we are actually going to La Planète Sauvage, or in English, Fantastic Planet. Bienvenue a cartoon feeling. <laughs> That's good. Stupid, but I'm allowed to do that because I am French Canadian, so. Zencaster won't kick you off, and it's going, and it's working, and so is Audacity, everybody's favorite software pairing. Is it? I don't know. They're not sponsoring us. You don't have to. I mean, you can. I actually brought my own sponsors for this one. I know it's not uh, <laughs> typical for a guest to do that, but uh, I'll just get it out of the way now. I want to thank Hannaford for <laughs> uh, for providing me with a, ba- a basket of groceries to eat during this uh, during this podcast. Yeah, so if you hear a crunch, that's me biting into a Hannaford onion. Uh, it's the, they're the best onions in town. So next <laughs> time you do an onion, stop over at Hannaford. Healthiest onions. Opening the show with the Hannaford sponsorship is important. Uh, hopefully other grocery stores will yeah, can we hop black, in along the way. them into actually sending us money for a sponsorship if we put it in the show and then be like, look, you owe us for this airtime that we did. I know people at Price Chopper. <laughs> Just go to the go to the return section at the store or the customer service and bring the podcast. <laughs> Just in, slide uh, my phone across the counter and be like, "Listen to this." You know what to do. Make this right, Hannah. Make first. it right. Yeah, they I'd, understand the synergy. Yeah, I'd hate to have to do a mean tweet about you. Mm. That's right. I'm verified. I'd hate to tag a brand in a complaining tweet. It would be a real shame. Some people will see that. <laughs> a certain number. Julian, uh, what do what do we refer to you as? Are are you a, a multimedia artist? Ooh, um, yeah, that's big fine. questions. <laughs> How about visual engineer? That was another term I had for you. No one has ever called me that. I love that. That's so, that makes it sound really. Uh, it makes it sound like what I do is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> is it not? I mean, no. I hope somebody that pays you is listening <laughs> to this. Then, <laughs> if they're out there. Uh, Julian Glander, am I saying that right? Yep. Hell yeah, from Florida originally. Hannaford. From Hannaford originally. (laughs) Do you know Julian? Uh, From the internet. Okay. We've never spoken, I don't think. No, we've been friends on Twitter for so long, though. Yeah. Aw. Probably coming up on a decade of being... Yes, probably. Just sort of like lingering mutuals on Twitter. Hello. Yeah, like this is what... Like, 70 years from now, people, like, our age will be like, we, like, my good friend who I've never physically met and have only liked their tweets for the last, like, 60 years. Oh, that's really cute. I feel like the new kid at school then right now. But that's nice. It's fun to be mysterious. Twitter, man. We're all looking at the same stuff, you know. That's true. We're all getting the same kind of uh, feed into our heads. It's actually, like, that's kind of nice to think about, but then it's also kind of a bummer to think about. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I agree. It's like 
Yeah. yeah. Because because when you were like, let's do Fantastic Planet, I was like, fuck yeah, because I, I got a lot. To th- I've thought a lot about this movie, never talked about it, so it's going to be a disaster. But I was like, that's that's perfect. How did you how did you know? You know, I've also thought about it a lot. I also have a lot to say. <laughs> um, I I think it's such a it's a great example of like a it's maybe the cult classic animated movie. It's hmm. it's so weird. It's so for a long time it was so hard to find and watch, mm-hmm. and now it's on a big streaming service that I'm not going to shout out. Oh, Hannaford, but not Hannaford the other H. B.O. Max. <laughs> nice. Um, it's also, I think, on YouTube. But yeah, I don't know. It, it popped into my mind as a good one to talk about because it's so it's so outside of the animation industry. Uh, mm-hmm. And it has such a special place, I think, in visual culture. Like, it's a movie that I had only seen recently, maybe a couple years ago for the first time. But I, I felt like I had been absorbing it for a long time because the art from it is such a mainstay like on Tumblr and even like before Tumblr, like a cool stoner kid that I went to high school with had the alien as his uh, like MySpace profile picture. <laughs> and that was sort that was sort of my entree into this world. And that's it, to me, that's kind of what this movie is, is like it is the ultimate stoner high schooler, early college, like tripped out sci-fi with all, with all that that entails. That's really interesting. I mean, that totally makes sense for me. I, Caitlin, actually, I ask you first. I don't know what your relationship with this oh, is. Oh, my relationship? I saw it for the first time incredibly recently. <laughs> Possibly in the last several days. And I'd never seen it before. I sort of had the same experience where, like, I'd seen a lot of imagery from it. And I always... It was one of those where I love to, you know, just, like, watch the weird stuff. Like, the stonery, like, indie, whatever. Like, any kind of animation, really, that's mm-hmm. out of the mainstream. I'll watch it, but um, I'll be honest. Like, I think... And this bears out with my viewing experience that I find this movie, like, very disturbing. Okay. Um, I don't know that it's... Well, we'll get into that later. I'm just going to skip that for now. But, um, like, the alien itself is so creepy to me that I feel like I subconsciously avoided watching it for a long time. Oh, Is that okay. weird? Like, no. Yeah, it's yeah. like the wide red eyes and this, like, sketchy style. And um, there's just something about this aesthetic, this animation aesthetic, that is very unnerving to me. Yeah. And I don't... That's not to say that I dislike it or that uh-huh. it's bad. It's just it produces a very distinct feeling of, like, squeakiness. Yeah, I see that. Maybe we can try to break down how that is. Yeah. Because every once in a while, like, we dip into a conversation about, like you know, Valley of the Uncanny-esque moments in some of these films, especially the lower budget stuff and the older stuff. Um, but we have yet to decipher why why that feeling exists. <laughs> so, all right, my story, I'll try to be brief. When I was maybe seven or eight, my dad had a friend and he worked for a library system. So he'd always send me books, but he also sent VHS tapes of whatever shit was on the public access station in, Can- in uh, Kansas. And one of those tapes was The Fantastic Planet. Which I think he meant to just send to my dad because I think it, they were both kind of like <laughs> counterculture dudes from the early 60s. And it was just how he, that was their Tumblr, I guess, was like just a VHS tape through the mail. A retweet. <laughs> but I just watched it all the time because it's short. The music's like pretty jazzy and it's very colorful. And uh, I remember being, I think I just, I have seen it so many times. I'm just kind of dulled to any traumatic sense of like, watching a human mother like dropped to death by a giant blue hand or or any other iconic scenes. The first thing. 
that's it's the like, best. You know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great cold open. I will be honest. This is a great <laughs> thing to indicate because when the movie opened that way, I was like, oh, I knew it. Like, because it's exactly how I was expecting it to open, mm-hmm. just based on my innate feeling of what the movie would entail. Yeah. I was like, of course it is. Just instantly. It kind of goes up from there, though. It's right. like, there's a really, that's a dark opening, and then it shifts, and it gets your guard down again with sort of a relaxing nature documentary thing that it does for about 20 minutes. Right. And we we whiplash so much between styles of narratives, like, Next week, we're talking about the Emperor's New Groove. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it's not even visually whiplash. It's just like styles of storytelling. And this one is so, um, just sort of drifts in and out of focus at any given moment, um, which is quite magical and great for just uh, filler content. I'm not one to put on a movie and not pay 100% attention. I know you you kind of like do that a little more. I wonder, do you think something like this fits in the oh God, yeah. watch while you're drawing yeah. category? Yes, this is a vibe film you go to a guy's house uh, a 21 year old guy's house on a saturday afternoon and he Mm. has like a tapestry hung on the wall and it smells like weed and this movie is on yes it's like that's the perfect context for it yeah i would actually say like probably a lot of people have seen this movie in its entirety just because it happened to be in the same room at a weird like all day weed party like that is the energy and I think there is, like, I'm pro a certain category of vibe films. And I think I sat and watched this with no distractions, and I thought it was great. But, yeah, you could definitely want to cultivate this particular sensibility, some soothing, sensual jazz. Mm-hmm. Throw this on. Once we start talking about the story, you do realize it does have kind of an action movie arc. Like, there are familiar beats that you've seen in, like, I don't know, not James Cameron exactly, but, like, some mainstream shit, the way... Oh, Avatar wishes know? it was... Oh, totally. They just stole the whole blue people thing wholesale. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I never put that together. they're super tall, like, makes you think. Yeah, you just swap out the jazz for Enya, and then you've got Avatar. All right. Now, have have either of you watched any uh, Rene LaRue's other weird experimental work from before that his uh, his feature debut here i i i assumed that you would do a lot of research for this so i didn't do that much but i did (laughs) i did watch something that he made with like um with a group of mental patients yeah that's his like which is phenomenal college work yeah right okay so monkey's teeth kind of where yeah monkey's teeth did you watch that yes i watched that (laughs) that is rough yes baby (laughs) yes i it was very um Indie anime. I laughed a lot, and I don't feel like I was supposed to, but I w- I'm not sure. <laughs> For the uninitiated, how would you describe Monkey Teeth? So a man, a sad man, kind of walks. Oh, like a Salad Fingers green guy. Through a like, dark door. Absolutely has to be the inspiration for Salad Fingers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Kids oh, of okay. the 90s, you know, when I, or the 2000s. The early 2000s flash animation. Yeah, uh, a horrifying, yeah, creepy, creepy vibe. Um, like red mouth with like the weird stubbly little teeth. I was just like, there he is. That's mm-hmm. him. Uh, <laughs> that's my boy. But basically the story is this evil dentiste steals poor people's teeth and like sells it to rich people. Mm-hmm. And then a monkey who I guess is a magician textually, but it was unclear whether he manifested any magical powers uh, during the event. He seeks revenge and he just rips out all the dentist's teeth. Right. And gives them to the guy. Um, Unclear. Yeah, but the guy does get his teeth back. Or he has teeth at the end. So Either um, continuity era or a metaphor or both. Yeah, it's a great, it's a timeless tale that I think we all understood immediately <laughs> right away. 
Yeah, like Julian was saying, some some of these early works are uh, they're just based on a drawing from a mental patient. I don't know how he had access at this time. I suppose in the '60s, you could just kind of walk in and out of a mental oh institute at your leisure. He Those worked the there. Days. It's like going to a Hannaford now. He you worked, could just so come and go. Something that is interesting to me about this guy is that it was like. I just, like, have odd jobs, and then I make films in my spare time. Like, it feels like he was just like, I'm going to get a legit job yeah. at this psychiatric clinic. I don't know what he was doing, actually, but it was not a creative position. He might have been a therapist of some kind. I don't know. And then did this as, like, a group exercise. And people mm-hmm. were like, this is awesome. Great job. Like, you get – here are some several awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that was just kind of his deal. And he even collaborated a couple times with a guy who, of course, I can't remember his name off the top of my head – uh, but it was the same. I think he actually might have been a dentist. And, but like then he just wrote a bunch of books. I think it was the guy who wrote this, um, the novel that Fantastic Planet is based off of and some of the other stuff that he did. Oh, He's just a guy. And then he was like, I I'm just going to write books in my spare time. I don't know. It's a really beautiful collaborative relationship to me that like these people were not like, I'm an artist. Are you, di- are you talking about Roland Tapore? Um, no, no I okay. think Just the guy who quick. wrote the books is Stephen Wool. Yeah. Wool, W-U-L. Uh, his Wikipedia page says he was a dental surgeon, but science fiction was his real passion. And I feel like that's probably this accurate. This actually makes total sense because the, like, the looming shots of the drags are so dentist. Like, it's <laughs> so the feeling of a dentist looming over you and messing with you. Mm. And like oh, some yeah. of the some of the devices that they're in, especially like the neck brace and stuff, are very mm-hmm. dentist core. So <laughs> dentist core is a beautiful term. Yeah, they spend a lot of time kind of animating the the, the tautness of a collar, or like yeah. The, yeah. just those those little moments of like interaction that kind of just stimulate the mind in a yeah, you being under a microscope a like there's a lot of that mm. where it's like ew, mm-hmm. like I don't like that. Literally, something massive is like poking you and like dragging you around and yeah everybody hates the dentist for those reasons right yes yeah and there's something about um we'll come back to to roland to because there's a lot to say about him because he's like kind of the the visual mastermind behind this but um the kind of this is in the area this is like peak terry gilliam uh, yes monty python it's like between i think this fantastic planet comes out or is recorded between like seasons three and four or something so that I was just trying to think of like, uh, you know, this paper cut animation style. This movie does so much of here's a thing you're looking at. Surprise. It's actually this and like pans <laughs> back or like pans up to reveal. And that's done um, for horror effect in this. But in Terry Gilliam's world, it's like always it's like a funny non sequitur. Whereas this it's like yes. a, an apocalyptic. But some of the, I mean, some of the things that stood out to me in this movie and I even like rewatching it. I thought that there were going to be bigger parts of it were those little sketches like the like the hippo that eats the thing that's coming out of an egg right. or the, <laughs> or like even actually the hand, uh, the, the pointer finger that comes down in the first shot. Isn't mm-hmm. that a Monty Python gag? Like, don't they do? Oh, the totally. Yeah, there's thing? big hands. Yeah, like a giant hand. Right. So which, wait, so which came first? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a case of this was the vibe of the just time. We're feeling giant hands coming down. I guess. I mean, they were I, probably going into like public domain at that time. And <laughs> like, you know what? Just... As a as a medical professional, as two medical professionals, they would both be looking at a lot of like Grey's Anatomy illustrated textbooks mm. with that like crosshatch look, which informs so much of the visuals of this movie too. That's true. And all all the uh, cutout style, a lot of the Terry Gilliam stuff is like Xeroxed 
and expanded and then cut up. So what resources did you have? Yeah, like medical journals, like Sears Roebuck catalogs, except they're in they're not in America. Some other catalog of products. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. And now it all just kind of looks like a Trader Joe's bag. I know. <laughs> the aesthetic has been dominated by that little gro- another rival grocery store. I also wonder that at this point, like surrealism is pretty well established where, like painter in a painterly way that once, um, just from our generation, like growing up, once something arrives at animation where it can be afforded like a production value of some sort, we're usually like somewhere down the mountain of like, the, the peak purity of like the movement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right. was this look so mainstream? It's like, I'm too cool for Fantastic Planet. <laughs> like if you were a kid and if you were a teen in 1973 in France, was this cool or not? I, I would know. love to know. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't find information pertaining to that. But every time we watch a weird movie like this, kind of that comes up. I'm like, did people just like flock mm-hmm. to the cinemas to see this movie? Or like, what was the deal? Yeah. I did one up uh, several pre, as it said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I do like that um, French film, at least. A lot of, like, European movies are like, here's all the awards we won, like, right at the beginning of the movie. So, right. I do like that. <laughs> yeah, I think isn't this, wasn't it nominated at Cannes for something or whatever? Pro- yes, it was. It was awarded the Grand Prix Special Jury Prize, Ooh, as congratulations. a matter of fact. So it must have been kind of cool. I mean, it wasn't just something totally. that the guy made in his house and put out and it was hidden for so long. They did give it the full release and everything. That's another thing that I think is so inspiring about this, because I don't think you could even do that now if you made a movie like this. Yeah. I think the magic ingredient here is this dude, Roland Tapor, who is like, I guess, a self-described like satirist, but also he was a writer. He he wrote, um, I guess, the screenplay for The Tenant, that Roman Polanski movie, which is about like a guy who becomes ex- obsessed with the previous tenant of his apartment. You ever see that? You ever no. seen that movie? No. I've okay. actually never seen a Polanski film. No? All right. Well, he's done for anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he writes that script, becomes a big film, musician, concept artist, animator. So I guess this co- collaboration just sort of grows from a shared interest in the story. This movie kind of jumps into a couple other films we've talked about a little bit. One is that I think of right off the bat is, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Julian, but an adaptation of Ray Bradbury's There Will Come Soft Rains. There's like a Soviet era 1984 animated short. Okay. About that. You ever come across that? I don't think so. Yeah, uh, We did an episode on it. It's- if you just Google There Will Come Soft Rains animation, you'll see this, the same look here. But this is like a, a team of Soviet era animators as well, just like 10 years before. And that jerkiness, well, like when we were talking about that short, Caitlin, I feel like it's that uh, same like terror. Yes, like I, <laughs> I describe the exact same feeling of like the grotesque Yeah, from that short as I do from this movie. And honestly, I think there's something just about like the physicality of it and that it's because in that short, it's basically about people that have been annihilated in nuclear war. So it's very, gra- well, graphic and your imagination at least and not mm-hmm. so much on the screen but like there's just a lot of like bodily danger that is happening yes. and a lot of like organic imagery that i think just somewhere in there you're like no like yeah. no don't and i don't know <laughs> that's as there's much as another I can movie that i almost suggested i'm glad i didn't that's called where the wind blows uh, oh. Yes, mm-hmm. I've actually like, seen that. You what? I've seen that. It's been a long time, but it's I've like seen the, that. Like I watched it on Tubi recently. It's by far the most depressing movie I've ever seen. <laughs> 
Yeah, it does not fuck around. It's about a beautiful be... British old couple disintegrating after an atomic bomb goes off. And it like yeah. they never leave their house and they just they just love each other and then die. Aren't they like they're dying of like radiation sickness? Yes, it's like they pretty have, like, grisly. Gross bumps on them and stuff. And it's but it's done. It's like well, I, I, there's like nothing even to say about it. It's just fucking bleak. So Roland, Roland Tapor has got a backstory that this may, this isn't too serious of an idea. It's, it's just like this this question I have in my mind. Okay, surrealism in this time does get kind of like the quick way to talk about it is like it's the stoner thing to watch. But I and I agree. But I don't know what um. I don't know enough about the movement and like the choices made within it to know how it really connects like with some of the artists emotional state. And I say this because I was reading a bit more about Roland Topper. Uh, And so here's his backstory. Around 1941, when Roland Topper is a kid, his father is a Jewish man living in Paris and they're all sharing this apartment as a family. And his father's taken away to not Auschwitz, but like a less intense concentration Mm -hmm. camp. So, and um, he kind of comes in and out of them for a while. And all this time, the kids are being pressured by the landlord of their apartment to reveal his location um, because some of this time he's like hiding from the police and she knows there's a reward if she reports like a Jewish man. So like young Roland is under like constant strain of this woman trying to like find the location of his father and report him. And that just seemed, you know, obviously a really tough way to grow up and like so foundational to his life. Like, I mean, you can see it in this art, like in this in the narrative, like this sort of like genocidal element and everything. But visually, I just wonder where that comes into play with like some of this surrealism, because there's so much like Polish art that has this kind of feel. I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly other than. I want more answers. Cartoon feelings. <laughs> we have feelings only. No knowledge. No, it's a, you don't have to solve the problem. You just have to but, have it. I don't know, but it just was something I never really thought about. This with, and I wouldn't say I'm dismissive of this style, but it's not. Some art styles make me want to know more, but a lot of surrealism just gives me a feeling, and I'm content with that, and I leave it be. Sure. Which maybe is the purpose of a lot of it. I don't know. Well, the you know the depictions themselves are. They're not literal, but they're very much what you see is what you get. I mean, it is illustrative as opposed to like Fantasia or something. Right. Yeah. I I mean, this is not really exactly what we're talking about, but I I think it like um, this could be screened today at an animation festival in terms of the quality. I, actually, like at Annecy, there's stuff every year that looks exactly like this, but worse. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's sort of like I, I would say like this kind of like pencil drawing style has has kind of locked in as a timeless style of animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see a lot of people in the sh- world of short films who if they're working on something for five or 10 years, it's in this style because it's it's kind of not evolving. It's very much rooted in this 30s and 40s visual language that's already been developed. And maybe that's the beauty of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. We just recently watched a, the Disney short. Mars and Beyond, which is kind of like a, have you ever seen that? It's from like 1953. It was broadcast on NBC as just sort of like a NASA propaganda, basically. But it has these sort of like sci-fi environmental landscape scenes of like aliens 
that do weird iterative, like evolving or like devouring of something. It's the same type of like gag. Sure. Is kind of a Looney Tunes. And yeah, this, there's this some one's stuff totally in this that has it. exactly the same 20 type years of later, thing. Like weird, basically. anatomically weird animals like eating each other mm-hmm. randomly between like fades in and out of black. It's exactly the same stuff. So that is really interesting. Because it's, again, it's what, it's, like, it's what Felix Colgrave is doing now, who's like the most popular. That's a great point. Uh, and I actually still love it and never get sick of it. I was so distracted by, I don't know if anyone else would have noticed this, but like, we're all familiar with the cartoon thing where you can see the background and then you can see like the You can see what's going to activate. Yeah, yes. you're like, <laughs> I can tell that that's a gouache painting. So like, <laughs> that you can't fool me. But there were multiple scenes in this movie where it's like just a, an audience shot of like all the humans being like, hmm, like thinking about something and it's just a drawing. Like there wasn't any of that and i was like whoa that might be the first time i've seen that or at least noticed it mm-hmm. in like a traditionally yeah. animated movie and they do it a lot probably because there's so many crowd shots and that would be like a huge pain hmm. yeah but it's yeah. like oh this is just you're just like here's a drawing of the people in no semblance of actual life because like you don't need that like you just need the composition there are so many places in this movie where you can tell they ran out of money I mean, it's yeah. just like, it's especially when you hit the la- the third act and it just goes into super speed. Uh, <laughs> and like, I mean, maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit, but like the final shot is, it's so brilliant because it's, it's just a girl sitting in a chair and like uh, a paragraph of exposition that could, would totally be its own movie if they made it today. It's like they put, <laughs> they put like three hours of stuff just in a girl sitting in a chair with the little headpiece on. Right. <laughs> and it, it reminds me of like when you're when you're telling a story to a little kid or or you're in a meeting or something and you're you're taking your time and then you realize you have to finish because no one's paying attention or you're like, I got to hit turbo speed <laughs> to keep everyone focused here. Five minutes on the clock. There we you know, we talk about like production of these films and we often try to parse usually just speculating wildly, you know, the budgets for some of these projects like we started this whole podcast by talking about Pixar, a studio built on just infinite funds of Steve Jobs. And like the magic of a lot of these animations and sort of like the weakness of them is that exact amount of money that lets them be not in totally indulgent, right? It's like some of the sparseness maybe is part of the charm that lets this sustain. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah, I think so. But also, uh, there's other things I was noticing, too. Um, some of the voiceover feels like it's like, well, we can't shoot that scene or we can't explain that, yes, do exactly. that world building. It's just like, <laughs> it's like no. It's face and it's like, look over there, two armies. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, it's a, it's a cheat, but it's just part of all cinema because like other iconic movies, The Dark Crystal does that a million times over and everybody's seen that a million times. So it's like... Everyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Or just the the general sense of in fantasy movies, we get voiceover and that's just how it is because we aren't going to make that for you unless you're James Cameron. Visualize it Um, in your mind's eye. Yeah. That's what that's for. I was surprised that there was voiceover in this actually. Go ahead. I just like that he like, it was like now as a character being like, and this is my life as like a, as like a baby human on a scary planet. I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be that kind of film. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm a little confused on, is he? Is Tear telling the whole story? I feel like they kind of give it up. Like it's voiceover, oh, yeah. then he's done. He and does someone stop. Else, but God is telling the end of it. I think he shows up again at the very end. And I don't really remember. I, I, I want to say, I've only seen this once mm-hmm. now. 
I want to say that he's the one just being like, believe it or not, like that's what really happened, folks. Uh, and now we're <laughs> and like doing great. Right, we have our own boy was, <laughs> was me. me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's him, but I'm not positive. But he does completely vanish as the narrator for a long time after. He's just like, this is my mom, like this this girl, this daughter of this family, whatever. And that's it. Like, once you know what's going on, it's just kind of, like, over. Right. It could either be a case of it's how they wanted it or Rowan to pour They the studio my- one day. Right, yeah. It's <laughs> just yeah. like, if you don't have the lines, tough. I mean, if you've never told a story uh, this long before, like, you know, we've all done our share of, like, uh, visual narrative where we have, like, characters that go through an experience. Like, maybe this it, there, there's a weakness to it because he'd never you know, taking on like a project quite like this. So maybe that's, that's part of it. I don't know. Yeah. I watched Gandahar last night, which he made whatever, 10 years later. And it was written by Isaac Asimov. And you can clearly tell that a writer wrote it, you know, (laughs) a very strong narrative foundation. It's like the characters lay out their goals. Things are explained. Things, you know, things that are brought up are then wrapped up at the end, but it's actually worse. It's actually, I think this is better because it's so, it's unpredictable for that exact mm-hmm. same reason that it's not, it's not following, I guess you could say it's like art brood or outsider art because it's just not following what we expect from the structure right. of an action movie. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that I, like, I feel like this guy just made stuff because he could, when he could, with whatever he had available. Mm. Something I thought was really interesting was that I believe it was Gandahar, which I haven't seen, uh, but the animation studio that did that was like North Korean. Mm. And I'm like, was he just like, who's available? Like, what are my options? North Korea. And um, hmm. it just I'm sort gonna, of feels I'm like he's. Try that. Yeah, like I guess I will. <laughs> Reach out. And I'm like, I was just like, well, how did you? I well, I'm not an expert in like global politics of the past or the present, <laughs> so I don't know exactly like what the deal was. But I was just like, why? Like, why? Why, sir? And we'll never know um, because he passed in 2004, I think. But oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, but I do, I just feel like he was like, I just want to do this. And so I'm just doing it. It didn't really feel like he was this, like, how we've talked about on the podcast a lot, this big visionary that's, like, grinding to, like, enact his vision. It almost feels like he's, like, playing. A- he's a hobbyist. Yeah, well, almost, kind of. I think he's jumping mediums, right? Like I said, he wrote a screenplay. He did paintings. I have came across, like, a really short, it must just be an excerpt from a longer documentary or something, which it, uh, it begins with uh, Roland Tapor sitting at a table and the, the filmmaker is talking to him about his legacy. Like, you know, I want to do something that people will remember me for. And then they cut to man on the street style filmmaking in a time where like nobody was doing that. So everybody's extremely polite because it's like France in 19, you know, 60 something. And they're like, have you heard of Roland Tapor? He's like, no, tell me more. Or like, no, I'm sorry. I must be on my way. Like, so the, the joke is no one knows who he is. But also I think people did because he, he worked with, um, you know, soundtrack wise. The music is by this guy. How do you say his name? Elaine Groger? Groger? This is the part of the show where I just embarrass myself. I said Goraguer. I don't know, though. That's perfect. Elaine. So he, he's got this weird kind of prog rock score. Later, he works with uh, Serge Gainsborough, who's like a French pop icon. He has that like Bonnie and Clyde song, which if you heard it, you would you would know. And mm-hmm. it's kind of he's got like this whole like reggae, Frenchy, jazzy thing. He, it's in a million movies and stuff. So I'm like, OK, we're like one degree away from 
kind of mainstream French pop culture with this guy. So probably at the time, I guess maybe people were like into this dude and it's just lost. I mean, yeah, like we probably don't have a good perspective on it being Americans. Yeah. Woefully. On a free podcast. Yeah. In 2022. Okay. I got one more uh, big idea before we, we get into this movie. We're not in it yet. I'll, what have we been doing this whole time? Just drinking Hannaford's? Yeah, yeah. I haven't even been Just recording. Just drinking my chug and slamming my Hannaford's. Okay. What's in this can? Oh, I thought I had a big idea. Oh, you don't? Okay. Well, I have so 13 I just... pages of notes, but I, ha- I wrote something down that I want. Oh, my God. I, but it's a disaster. They're worthless, so it might as well be one. <laughs> They're not. It's um, fine. <laughs> We moved past it. I wanted to talk about you like can go back to May nineteen sixty. We're outside of time. <laughs> that sounded important. That was <laughs> you had a date there. Okay, like from history. All right. Oh my god. Yeah. I do you want to get in? Do you want to get into that? And there's two smart people in front of me who are prepared, and I'm just like hungover. But I did watch the movie. Well, let me tell you, Doc. Uh, the guy I that was on Jeopardy is going to say that so, to us. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> you don't even have to worry about it. Okay, let's let's tie some things together. <laughs> All right, artistic identity. I feel like it, we like that we started having guests on the show. This is a new thing, and it, I don't know if it gracefully it seems to gracefully fit into our dynamic, right, Kaylin? I think so. But also, we do want to extract something special from each person. Jesus, okay. Is, is there like, a different way to say that? He looks away. No, you well, can extract. Not like a vampire. You know, I don't have much for extraction. <laughs> what do you got? Well, we'll get, <laughs> we'll, you'll you'll be surprised what what we get. Um, Okay. Artistic identity. Like we, I think this show is about like reflecting back on ourselves. Like, um, you know, if maybe we did a thing like this, what would it feel like? Or, you know, Ooh, yeah. wh- where does this fit like in our inspiration and, and in our lives? So, uh, another, another Renee, Renee Descartes, that like the, the, the model intellectual who, what does he say? The like, um, I think therefore I am idea. Oh, he did that? Yeah, that's that guy. <laughs> yes. Of okay. Of course. So, the I think therefore I am concept. It's it's kind of like it's this model of like framing a person and their ideas is sort of like this solitary existence. And this movie is it's about um, objectifying like a people, right? Like these aliens sort of like can't see the humans for what they are, like a, as a group. So it, it's like a weird thing. I don't know if it's weird. Also, we might cut this out, but um, <laughs> I think it's going great. Th- this it got me thinking about this: the idea of the artist who takes their inspiration but gives it no credit because they want to be uh, the. I thought of this, so that's yeah. me. And why don't I write a book about it and make all the money and forget everything I've learned? There's something about um, that dynamic that culture I feel like has been pushing against. More recently, because it can be like so harmful. Caitlin, it's like when we talk about role of the hero's journey in the story yeah. and how it's like. But the thing about that hero is he had a lot of people that helped him. And maybe we could talk about. Yeah. And he's not always that interesting, honestly. So um, plus, uh, according to what's his face, Joseph Campbell, it cannot be a woman, which is really annoying. Right. He it's very that. limiting. He said that. I like it. guy's a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Sorry for Campbell fans out there. I mean, he's very soothing to listen to, but he's also like straight. The people wrong. who are Heroes Journey fans, they have it. <laughs> you really they have do. every movie of the last 50 years. Right. It's like the meat. Like, Make some room. <laughs> so the question is, can we extract the identity of like the creative hero or the character hero from the medium? Or is it just this is what it is? 
Like, like this movie almost it starts to fall apart when it becomes not about terror. Like you just you just were saying that when he's not voicing over, it's like, well, who am I following? Like it can't be about the group or like a bigger idea. It has to be focused. So what uh, the 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 artistic identity? I, what am, what am I talking about? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, bud. Fuck. Rephrase. <laughs> I have some thoughts on this though. Which, <laughs> you got me. Uh, I don't think we've had a lot of stuff. Like, I don't think we've said the word allegory on this podcast before, but like, that's what this is. This is a lot of allegories. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A big fat chunk of allegory. You, you know, you're familiar. So Julian, talk about (laughs) yourself. Can you, I know this is annoying, but it's what we're doing. Like, you know, your creative process, like where, where do you fit into that picture? Into the, which picture? Of, of you and your work, like your relationship with your work. Like, like, is my work autobiographical? Is each character is each character in my work an insert of me in some way? Yeah, you know, Kayla and I, we want to bring on people that, that tell stories. We want to know where those stories came from. When you chose this, you know, I don't know you personally. I've, I know your work. And I was like, this somehow feels right for him. Yeah, that I could agree be my magical that. thinking. But like, you no, know, I how do does agree. this all fit together for you? I think for, in my relationship with Fantastic Planet is it's it's a very rare movie where when I saw it, I had a feeling of like, if this is a feature film, I could make a feature film, you know, and that's mm. something I've been trying to do for a long time. And if I was going to do it ever successfully, it would be in the same DIY way that Renee Lalou has done it in that sense. Yeah, I think it's I think like I think probably a lot of people feel that way when they see this movie. There's a resonance to it because of there's like a, I guess like one thing that's appealing about it is the transparency of how it was done. Like if you know anything at all about animation, you could look at this and say, well, I see that these are paper cutouts moving across the screen. I see that it's five drawings like to me, that's very seductive. Like hmm. uh, it feels DIY. Uh, and it, it, this movie also does feel personal and not constructed for all the reasons that it fails to be a hero's journey or a cohesive story. I don't think I really answered your question, though. I don't know if my question was a legit question. I don't anyway, think they're but answerable. I, I think this is a good discussion, though. I think we're all good listeners, which is a rare thing. And it, it uh, we're all absorbing. Well, I think... I think what this is kind of getting at, if I'm allowed to throw out a question that's not a question, is that like when you watch indie films and stuff like this and you're kind of like, who is this made for? Like, what? Like, did people like this and go to the cinema? What's that about? And it's because they're just weird. Like, there's nothing about this movie that you're like, oh, put this in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it has broad appeal. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not that. Even though it's a classic, you know, and it's beloved by a lot of people. And I think it's still really good to this day. It's not that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's just a little harder to wrap your head around it. And I like us talking about, like, okay, if you were going to make something like this, or, like, why did it resonate with you then? Because, mm-hmm. like, and I, I'm, like, a sort of an advocate in a way of, like, the Marvel movies because I don't think that they're, like, good. But I think they're, like, made they're made well, like, serial, like, Saturday morning cartoon movies. Mm-hmm. Like, just done well. Like, they are what they are, and I can just meet them where they're at. And so I think that's fine but they're not what I would creatively aspire to do. And I find that I have like really interesting creative conversations with people when they're like, I love this weird thing. Like this is my favorite weird thing, whatever, whether or not I can see that in the work that they do. I just think that is fun to talk about. Even if I'm not like, here are three specific questions about that Mm -hmm. thing, Uh you know, but like, it's just fun to be like, what about this movie? Did you like, 
Because I've talked a lot about, like, th- these are types of movies. I bet I would have watched this a bunch when I was a kid, even though it grosses me out. Because yes. there's just something about stuff like that that I have always been attracted to. And, like, so I'm like, eh. And that's why I was up at, like, 3 a.m. watching that, the Soviet cartoons and stuff right. like that. It's because, like, I just want to watch that stuff. even Or, like, When the Wind Blows. Mm-hmm. Nobody sits down and is like, you know be super fun, bro? Like, let's put on the, like, <laughs> the nuclear holocaust, like, radiation sickness movie, you know? But... A lot of us are drawn to that stuff, and I, I think it's interesting to talk about why and, like, who makes that kind of work. Yeah, there's something that just resonates with a piece like this because it's not playing to to appease a, a production team or, like, a board. Like, some, mm-hmm. you know, we all do projects, like, to get through the day, like, everybody does, every artist, to, that, that is to appease something, Ugh, whether it be man. to, like, pay the bills or, like, do a thing. But then the goal is always to like fit a little weirdness in there if you can, because that's like your true value. And it, especially, you know, we haven't really looked into it and we'll probably never answer this question. But because this is a European production, there's just a different balance of the value for society that America just doesn't have for things like America. You know, unless you worked for Disney or something like associated itself with the government through certain areas, you weren't going to create some weird art. Like when we watch Mars and beyond, it has an agenda a little bit because it's like tied to NASA. This is not tied to anything other than here's me fitting in uh, real history. It's slightly coming in the fallout of like a real f- revolutionary time in France, which is like that. They, they call it like May 68, which is like the student uprising against the government. And um, there was like the biggest, I don't know if of all time, but biggest um, work strike and it just changed how everybody conducted themselves in France because it's like, well, now, now the people, the people have spoken. So like what happens from here? And it just became easier to, to stand up for human rights. And I feel like this is a thing that gets made after that. And it's, it's clearly about those ideas, but still gets to exist in France as a statement. Um, and I don't know if it's like, I wouldn't say it's government sponsored, but the government has to allow this sort of thing to exist where America just doesn't really have this relationship with art and um, I don't, the allowance of a voice. You would never see anything this weird come out of Pixar. I think that's the best studio to think about it from just because yeah. everything Pixar makes is so like polished and controlled that you can just, you can practically hear the people being like, I actually really wanted to make it like more gay or more whatever. Right. And you can practically see it on the screen that they like mm-hmm. weren't allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's just how we do stuff here. It feels like with the big budget stuff. Which is why we got to talk about these movies. No one else's, just us. <laughs> We open on a fantastic planet. (laughs) (laughs) This film opens on a terrifying vignette of massive, giant blue people with little fish ears and shockingly round red eyes torturing uh, a young mother to death in front of her infant son, uh, who is spirited away to become the domesticated pet of a child of one of these giant giant beings, which are called drogs. We are on Yigong, where these blue people are the native population, really scientific minds, spend a lot of time meditating. Interesting. 
Uh, and humans, known as Ohm in this society, are kind of like rats, honestly, is the best comparison that I can make. They are treated as pests in the wild that kind of infest uh, the parks and the abandoned places in this world. And they're routinely exterminated by the drogs, and they are also domesticated and kept as pets. Uh, and so that's where the vast majority of the action in this film takes place. And as you can imagine, it gets pretty gruesome. I don't know. Tonally, I feel like maybe other people would describe this differently, but... Absolutely. <laughs> so, like, when we... All right, what, the way... It's that... also really beautiful in a lot of parts, and... No, I like that you're taking the anti this movie. Can I just say quickly that <laughs> I'm not I'm, anti this movie? I'm not sure that I. I'm even not like anti this like, movie. I've been, I've been thinking about it all week. Like, is this movie even no. good? Because I love it, but also it sucks. I think and this movie so, is good. Actually, I think what is interesting is that like what sticks to me a lot with movies like this. Because I didn't want to say this right away because I was just trying to open it. Yeah. But skipping to the end, like the amount of like small human people you get sucked up into machines of death. Mm-hmm. That happens so many times during this movie. And I think there's just something about that that like psychologically bothers me. Yeah. Not in a way where I'd be like, Lalu, what are you doing? Like cut that out. It's not that. It's just a <laughs> horrifying image. Like yes. it is that. And so like that's what I... The movie so often is showcasing human suffering in this really scary way and then when they're subjected to this violence by things that are just massive and so different and clearly are just operating on this completely different technological plane it's horrifying and and i think in a way that they maybe would intend this movie reminds me a little bit of um jeff vandermeer's like writing work like annihilation Mm -hmm. uh because a lot of what he's writing about is how humans kind of mess around with the ecosystem in ways that is really damaging, but that we just don't perceive it that way because that's just not that like, it's the classic thing of like, you know, um, like frying an ant on an anthill. Like we just not really necessarily thinking about what that would be like from the other side. And I feel like this movie is a lot of that. And uh, I think that's a valuable thing to talk about. And it just is upsetting to watch. Yeah. It's like the best, portrayal of indifference of villainy or evil is like the indifference or yeah or even like the enjoyment like there's the part at the beginning now we're in it now we're in the film this girl tiba she is like the daughter of the this blue alien drug family she has this boy and she's like raising him as a pet and she's teaching him to say like oh he loves me like you love me and like she clearly feels the same way about this human boy as like you would about your kitten or like your new dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, is... I want to I talk about this before we lose it. You have a special relationship with rats, Caitlin. I do, yes. And you said that the, in this movie, the drags treat the alms like rats. So I think I, think I want to hear a little bit more from you about your experience with oh. rats and how you would relate that to the, to the alms and the drags. Because I, so I, I got that. ducks recently and it's my, they're my kind of first pet. And I've been thinking about this a lot, my relationship with them, who I am to them, what their life is like, how they're basically incomprehensible to each other. And I spend a lot of time wondering if I'm torturing them. Oh, cool. First of all, please, I'd love to see pictures. Yeah, I haven't. I've been hiding them from social media because, you know, there's like you post an animal on social media. Oh, totally. Police are on you like instantly. Like, (laughs) like, what are you doing to these ducks? Yeah. 
I think this is a great question because uh, I don't, I mean, you might know this because I posted a little bit about it, but my last rat just passed away last week. No, I'm sorry. It's been really hard for me because I've had them for 10 years. So yes, I have like a, a long and storied history with rats who have a very short lifespan. And so I've had like 14, I think, total. Oh, wow. Um, and it's been brutal because it just, it doesn't get easier. Like the, you'd think it would get like, oh, you know, yeah, they just have a short lifespan. So you just enjoy it. It just gets harder every time. It was like a very very devastating but first of all the angle that i'm um describing like these people are kind of like treated as rats in this is like i know wild rats aren't pets and they are probably do like harbor disease and all of this stuff but they're also really intent like intelligent Mm -hmm. social animals and i do find it kind of frightening a lot of the time how people treat them just culturally uh and honestly even the number of times that i've had my rats at the vet uh, and somebody's like, oh, like, what do you have in that carrier? And I say it's a rat. And they're like, disgusting. Just like to my face. It's constant. People yeah. have told me that I should drown yeah. them like crazy. And I'm like, you know, like, this is a pet. Even when I posted it that my last one had passed away, somebody had to be like, oh, I can just get one off the street for you right now. These people. You know, like, mm, do you really have yeah. to? And it's con- like friends, like coworkers. So many people talk about them that way. Mm-hmm. And it really freaks me out because rats are incredibly smart and really friendly and affectionate. And we it's like we just choose not to see that, I guess. And I can't blame people to a certain extent because, yeah, like if they actually do bring the plague and such in certain contexts, I don't really want to hang out with a wild rat. At the very least, they can bite you and probably will. And like that's not anything to joke around about. So I understand why they have the reputation they do, but, like, maybe we could just try to see beyond that a little bit with the evidence that we have. Like, I feel like we are literally the the drags on the jumbotron right now. Right. <laughs> having, like, the public policy discussion to a huge arena crowd. Do they live in an organized fashion? That's kind of... Yes. I, do, I sometimes would sort of think about that. Because something I loved about rats is, like, they're basically like dogs. Like, they're basically like little puppies... They seek out your attention. They, like, fall asleep on your lap. They like to hang out with you. And they all have really distinctive personalities. And, yeah, it was just a thing where I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you cannot just let these guys sit in a box their whole lives or mm-hmm. just be dismissive about the way that you treat them. Like, they are, they have a little world going on in there. Mm-hmm. Like, they get lonely. They need to live together in groups, and they're just as affectionate. Like, if you walk in the room, you've been gone all day, they'll run to the, like, you know, to get close to you. They, like, will beg to be let out to hang out with you. They, like, clearly know what's going on. So at what point do we start kind of taking that more into account? And I don't necessarily would be like, oh, yeah, it's perfectly analogous. Like, rats in our life. Are just like the humans in this like no not necessarily but i do think that we have a really really bad problem with disrespect <laughs> to a lot of things that are like living functioning beings that maybe deserve a little bit more than what they're given i love that and i like i i think like the your epiphanies that you have about animals is what this movie is going for in about the first half and it's to me thematically that's when it's the strongest, and it really sells those points. And I would love it if it had followed through on that to the end instead of kind of turning. You know, at some point it turns on its head from a animal rights story to like Exodus meets the Holocaust meets a number of other like 
vague humanity stories. Well, yeah. like it, it turns into the like an, a Mexican the animal rights standoff. message is so strong in this movie, and I, I almost just want it to go all the way through as a documentary about Terra and the Tiwa, you know. Yeah, I remember being disappointed that she just disappears from the story. Yeah, she's I was gone after, really after he runs away. He runs away and then she's... And I was just like, maybe this is just me wanting it to be more traditional narrative. Yeah. But in any other, like, an American film, you're like, right. she's going to show up at the end and be like, no. She's going to stand up to dad and, and yeah. that's what saves them. <laughs> yeah, and like, instead they they nuke them or something. The the I, I think it's... There's this... The shifting of point of view, a lot of this, um, really... Uh, Maybe this is like the the artifact of this, the value of it as like, you know, a piece of media is the way it kind of makes, at least if you're really paying attention and watching this a million times as a kid, like the questions, it sticks in your mind. So it like opens, you see a mother. Okay. And a baby. They're running. Oh, that's sad. There's a giant <laughs> hand. That's terrifying. That giant hand belongs to a child. Oh, it's a child. I'm a child. That giant hand is doing something mean to that. But- Oh, but it's so much smaller. Do they know? Like, there's just so many questions that I don't know if this movie is posing that. And I don't I would love to know. And it would be impossible. Like what people thought, what they were thinking when they were watching this, because like you guys are saying, it's the movie doesn't seem to have be pushing certain buttons over and over. It just sort of like does some things, then shifts away. But having it, this movie be from a certain era and look a certain way and carry a a weight to it because of those things, maybe we're giving it a little more credit than it deserves when it's, it just might be happenstance. (laughs) Just a sloppy movie. I don't know. Like, right. Is it necessarily trying to make me ask or recontextualize the relationship of like a giant child and a, a tiny adult mother. I don't know. I think it <laughs> no, we're might... looking through it through a very academic lens. Yeah, we're over talking it for movie, sure. <laughs> it's French, and by its very nature, it's it's really pretentious. So mm-hmm. I think it's fair oh, we... to to you know put it under the microscope there. Yeah, that's true. And the you it's know it's not the, only uh, fair; it's also thematic. Right. So okay, as as we move through this a little bit. So we, we get a sense of the relationship of the ohm and the now I was noticing and I was going through a bunch of different subtitled versions of this. I don't know how many of their legit. Did you guys come across versions where uh, the blue people were called trags? Uh, in I found it very interesting that the Wikipedia page refers to them strictly as trags. You can yeah. tell that I'm very academic because I keep citing the freaking Wikipedia page. But I just watched it on HBO Max. Oh, bleep mm-hmm. that out, I guess, since we mutually agreed to not. <laughs> Yeah, just bleep it We're out. We're holding um, out for a sponsorship there. <laughs> <thing. laughs> That's what I watched it on. And the, the subtitles are with the D. Yeah. But okay. yeah, Wikipedia is just like drugs. And then it has a little uh, parenthetical that's like in French and Czech, the spelling is drug. So I assume What's that the is more correct. I don't know. But I did notice that um, the original title of the movie, in if just like direct translation in French, is The Savage Planet. Right. Right. So that's such a fake out. In the yes. American version. I find it, it's it, a complete misdirection of yeah. what we're watching. Well, exactly. That's that's the weird thing with some of this stuff. And so now here's the bigger problem with not a problem, but just like a bigger inquiry of all this. If it's called the Savage Planet, what is the name is the planet there on the Savage Planet? No. Or is that the satellite, the artificial satellite or the where it's, they go? The natural satellite. And so at the very beginning, we see oh, one of these lessons. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so the main planet is this like Egon planet. And then the satellite 
is La Planète Sauvage, which we only find out what kind of freaky deaky stuff is going on up there way Towards later the in the narrative. Yeah. And mm. let me tell but you, it's, it's, it's very yeah. savage. The title Savage Planet kind of begs a very classic sci-fi question that's cliche to us now and was probably cliche then, which is who's really the savage here, <laughs> right. you know? <laughs> and so maybe we don't really need it. I think Fantastic Planet is a great title. It has a rhyming bounce to it, obviously. Mm. It, it's fun. It's maybe it's a better title, even though it's wrong. <laughs> I think it captures the American imagination a little more, especially yes. in that in that era of I will like be kind honest, of psychedelia. Though, I it did make me think that maybe there would be like a band scene later. I don't know where everybody's like playing guitar and stuff. I don't know why. I oh, just was like, this oh, it's going to be fantastic. Like a, just a yellow submarine thing. Yes, yeah. Like <laughs> it's just going to get really turnt in a much more approachable way than it does. But I will also argue and go to bat that I think the original title is better because frequently in this movie they talk about like the homme domestique and the homme sauvage and it's like they're the uh -huh. wild people and those are the problem and, like we got to get all of them and like kill all the wild people and keep like the pet ones right. regulated and so i think it's more about that yeah it's and about I, control yeah. Right? yeah and i i don't know this is getting into very pretentious and like academic and snooty territory but spoiler when we get to the end and we um we finally get to peep what's going on on that satellite planet it's actually like the drug's weird like sex ritual with yes. with just other beings quite, like, that we what never said. Yeah, we, we had no indication that those were there in like false bodies, like their little bubbles, just their meditation bubbles, just land on the heads of these very humanoid statues, and then mm -hmm. they just they get it on. Yeah. You don't see that actually, but it's implied. <laughs> yeah, it heavily. is some sort of like um, ritual. Yeah, and is that just supposed to be like the mystery of nature? Like, I don't no. know how that ties. Like, why is that called the Savage Planet? I don't know. <laughs> it's. I think it's how they pr uh, the species continues on. Yes, like that's. And then, well, that's maybe the, like is that what it is? Like it's. I that's why it's such a threat. It's, it's like the only threat to them. So we're introduced. Not fantastic, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so there's the, something that just makes this feel contemporary is like the way bits of plot are like kind of dished out. So you set up the tension between the the like the rival groups, right, and like the strengths and weaknesses of the other, the question of morality, and then you get introduced to like little world building things that like come back later. It's it's funny how this movie feels like so kind of just a shambling like array of. Of moments, but then when mm -hmm. you go, but between some of the random stuff that just puts a cold hard stop to the story, it does really connect together because you get introduced to their their meditation technique, which seems fairly incidental, like through Tara's eyes, and that's why that is such a shame when it's lost because the mystery of the story is like when we see his point of view, and um, it's just so iconically psychedelic surrealist where they're floating in, in the little bubbles and their little like yeah, meditative poses and seems unimportant, but it becomes the thing at the end yeah. that ties it all together, which is like, that's some planning. Good job. This Good is, job team. I want to shout out relatedly, like one of my favorite scenes, I feel like of this movie. And I'm like, what's going on here? But I really like it. And it's when he's a little baby boy and he's crawling into the room and there's four drugs sitting like on a back wall 
And these oh, and they merge into things. each other, and they yeah. each have different colored outfits on. Yeah, yeah. they all have their uh. matching like squiggly outfits, and the tendrils are like bloop, like just tickling them. And they're yeah, they're like amorphous and weird. And I was like, I love this. <laughs> this is awesome. And even then, I was like, gross, weird. Like it just gives me that gross feeling. But that I was like, oh okay, this is cool. Right. And I like that it never says what's going on there. Like they start, their bodies are like super thin and then they start to like twine together they turn and... into spaghetti basically yeah and then like, i love this then they're like yeah they're like organ or they're like blood vessel charts basically mm-hmm. yeah, like nerves start right. to like populate yeah. or so it's very bizarre yeah so it's even like do which it makes you wonder like where do these beings like exist yeah you know are they actually bound to this planet or are they like inner intergalactic entities I mean, they are when it comes to getting it on. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. So at the uh, couple of questions. So there's the big production meeting that we're having in the kind of Escher box with the windows. They, they talk very specifically about an unexpected uh, holdup in their major housing unit factories. Like what, what are their houses? Um, what do you think they look like? I guess we're in them for a lot of it. Yeah, they have a conversation pit. Mm-hmm. They don't show an exterior of a house, though, do they? Not really. I was all just, it got see, me thinking. Yeah, all you see that in because I thought about this during it, too, is that you see, like, the walls of the outside of where they live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there are a couple scenes that happen, like, right at that junction, but you never actually see over the wall. It's just the nature of adaptation. Like, when something becomes a film, so much is lost from, like, the, the source text. I'm like, I'm just wondering if, I'm, I'm sure the book somehow goes into this. A lot further. I think you could probably make an educated guess based on the architectural <laughs> style of all their gadgets and stuff. <laughs> it looks like a clamshell perfume okay. sprayer thing with oh, a door yeah. on the front. That's that's my guess of what the house looks like. There's a lot of weird trends. Like through, I feel like through the 50s, through the ho- 70s of like instant housing design, like you could buy a house from Sears, like in the 50s or like mm-hmm. the Buckminster Fuller Geodesic Dome project, or you could, there's like the Octagon house. There's all these weird housing trends. I was wondering if um, maybe that's not so prominent in, in France where like everybody's already got a building, maybe. Everybody but has their building. It just made me start thinking about cool houses. I think uh, I've, I've got the the movie pulled up here in another tab and there is a there's a scene where there where uh tear is in a dollhouse oh yeah uh and so i i think you could probably extrapolate that their house is a big version of that house since he has a miniature version of everything else and it's cool it's like a little it's 12 minutes in it just looks like a little ornate kind of looks like everything else looks like a seashell yeah it's like his little cage yeah there's sort of no um in this world, there doesn't seem to be art or um, like there's we see some writing on a wall that like is just to kind of give us some plot where it's like this area is going to be de-omed. But like we don't really get a sense of like what these people are into other than just gaining knowledge through their their headbands. I would definitely say some of that's intentional. And then some of that's like, I want to draw this. I feel like that happens <laughs> a lot. But like for alien things, I don't know if this is like easy or really challenging. Mm-hmm. I feel torn between them. Like, is it just easy to be like, oh, I don't know, they live in blob stuff and it doesn't matter because it all changes, whatever. But I feel like they don't have anything like that because you want to not be able to relate sort of yeah. to a certain degree. Like, you do want to be able to relate to them a little bit. 
But you want to be like, these are the aliens, and they're weird. Like, yeah. I don't. Why do they suck their food out of a big bubble? Like, <laughs> but you're you're right. It's it's all because somebody wanted to draw it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and that's I mean that's the endless charm of it. That's something you never get with this major studio picture. It's like every single thing you see on the screen is something somebody wanted to draw. Yeah, the like, art for art's sake kind of approach. Or yeah. Something. Yeah, and that's sort of it's like the it's the beauty of it, but also the frustrating thing because we we insist our our modern minds like want we a want little this bit of movie to make sense. Yeah, we yeah. want a, a save the cat screenplay. Who or won? Something Who's attached the hero? Okay, now we got to talk about Terry's outfits because he's got a lot of looks. Oh, he does. He oh, he starts as a baby. Sense. He's got little pants on. Not much to say there, but he he gets like what would you describe them? I mean, they're kind of like circus. Oh, yeah. Like Jester, like Fool's Motley, I would say. 100%. I'm uh, particularly fond of the one that I think he runs away in where it's just like puffy, like really tight svelte Michelin man tights and Mm. like top. And he has these like cute shoes that like you can see his feet in them, but then they extend out quite a bit and have like fluffy little ends. Completely impractical. But memorable. But adorable. And it's like, that's why there's a part where Tiva's like putting different hats on him. And I'm just like, my God, like you have all these clothes and stuff for your boy. Yeah. I really remember it, as a kid, the scene where um, she teaches him to speak and she's like, uh, Tiwa loves tear. And then he, what is he? Yeah. He just kind of repeats. He just repeat, she says, repeat me, like repeat it back to me. Yeah. And it's, it's just such a cold... You, it's just such a, what am I supposed to feel? Does she love him? She's not very nice to him. Like she drags him around or she lets she him She makes him fight. She like puts him down crystals. when they're, yeah. there's the scene when all the kids are like, bring your boy over here, like make him fight. And they have two humans fighting with their hair tied together. Yes, yeah. and so good. Yeah, that is a, cr- that is a great scene. Uh, and then there's like an old guy. They try to get the old guy to fight the boy, and then he starts singing instead. Oh, he's singing to his, his love. He's like singing <laughs> he's up like, to the ah. woman. Who's like, and they're like, oh, he's really back. good at that. And yeah. then Tara just like lays him out. He just, <laughs> just strangles him. Yeah, yeah, he just attacks him, and they're all like, huh. But there's like a lot of shots in that scene where they're like panning to different. Um, Drog's face is like from below yeah. and that's like just one of the most stark moments in this movie I feel like where you feel like I'm tiny and down here and they're all up here like watching me and be like I don't know do stuff like fight guys whatever something I was just thinking about with this style like that scene where 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 Tear strangles that man that old man who's like really done nothing <laughs> like our protagonist is just strangling this old man the, the movie doesn't tell you any way to think about it. The music doesn't get melodramatic. It doesn't zoom in. The director makes no choices for you. I think maybe that's one of the weird things about this movie is it kind of hangs you out to dry <laughs> through most of it. It's like, yeah. hey, you bring what you want to the table. Like, and that's I'll just c- tell you what happened here. I'm yeah. telling you, little kid. <laughs> These are just the land, facts. And then I'm going I'm to fade to black. Right. When it's over and just open up a new vignette. Yeah, yeah. think about that for a second. And we're on to... Yeah, you get approximately two seconds to consider before we move on. Yeah, it's it's a distressing thing. It's like, it's not horrific. I mean, you could probably tell the story in a way that would make it like rated R or something. But the way everything happens, it's like you, a little kid could watch this and they could sort of come away unscarred if they're not really watching it, watching it, you know? If you're just kind of watching the shapes and things run around, I don't know. People getting sucked up into the death vacuum, no big deal. I came out fine. I feel nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious if you all have thoughts, because I think that's a really good point. 
Uh, I mentioned earlier there were all these like reaction shots of the crowd of people. Hmm. So halfway through the movie, Tara goes to live with these wild people in the big tree. And it's kind of like a tense tribalistic society where problems are settled in personal combat and they, you know, fight with other rival clans for their food and whatnot. And there's a lot of like, what is the the crowd of people thinking about like whatever Tara's talking about right now or whatever. And I found it very distracting and honestly kind of funny because a lot of the time the facial expressions feel like they do not relate to what's happening. <laughs> like many, many right. times it'll be like, oh, I'm battling this guy to the death like right now. And it's the very serious. The guy is covered in those red uh, bees yeah, the powder, or whatever they are. Yeah. Or when he opens smiling. the box. Like, yeah. yeah, they're smiling. always <laughs> smiling. Like every close-up shot is just like, mm, In like this a- horrible world, that's the funniest thing that could yeah. ever happen. Yeah, it's fu- it, honestly, it reminds me of like Catholicism, like icon artwork. Like, oh, exactly. Because they're always oh, like, yeah. just like yeah. this benign, like beneficent smile and just being like, like I'm just sort of fine. Like, and I'm just like, what is happening? Like, why are you all so chill? And really, I just don't know if that's like, is that just how they drew and they didn't like necessarily have more of a Oh, like the communication like... between the storyboard artists and the... Oh, really? I was just like, <laughs> maybe they don't artists. have enough to like, or maybe we're like spoiled in our exposure at this point to like yes, really good I think good that's what we keep going expression. back to is we're expecting the same things out of this movie that you expect out of a hundred million dollar movie. Why yeah. isn't this a Pixar movie? <laughs> that's the only question how worth Pixar asking. Would do this, though. <laughs> they would do it real bad. It's Toy Story. Actually, they did do it and it's Toy Story. <laughs> That's true. That's completely true. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Okay. So we have the answer to that. That'll be a fun bonus <laughs> compare and contrast episode. So go to you know the uh, so we're in this scene right. We're in we're in the big tree now. We get we kind of like br- break into this new idea now that we're with the ohms. This idea of like knowledge and its value because you have the superstitious characters because terror. If you haven't seen the film, everyone, I don't know what you're doing, but Tara shows up with the headband, which is like, you know, the oh, godly knowledge. Intro the headband, because I don't know if we've talked about it, but right. that's what Tiva, like on all the drug children, get this kind of cool, golden, like beaded headband yeah. that just projects your lessons right into your mind. It's just like a stream of podcasts about history. Essentially, yeah, it's very mellow, honestly. Yeah. If there's anything I would crib from this movie, it's the voiceover of the person being like, the planet is oh, such and such. Like that. And I was like, God, that is a nice voice. Like, surely I've seen reference to this in modern sci-fi film because it just feels very unique and iconic. It's the ultimate knowledge tool because somehow it seems to scribe that data into your brain like you're a circuit board because nobody forgets anything once yeah, they you hear just it. Get, you get the actual visual images. Yeah, I also right. really love later scenes where it's like an auditorium of 30 people and they have tiny little images in their head so that you know it's happening. Even though, like, it's so small that you can't really see what's going on. So, in in this moment, the the, uh, the colony has all these boxes, and we get a great scene where they're making fun of Terra, and the one guy's like, ha ha ha, laughing, and he's banging his stick on the side of the box. Then it absorbs him, and then slowly like sinks into the sand. Like, tell me, I you can't... have nightmares about that moment for yes, years. like that is what I'm yeah. talking about. But... In these movies, you just have an awareness that. At- People can die in really fucked up ways at any time. Like that is the, the but it's because he's ignorant. Is that but so that's the question here? Yeah. Is it uh, is it saying it's his ignorance that has done him in, or is it just a some weird shit? 
I think why, yeah, yes. That, I, I think know. that's what's scary about these movies is they remind me of the fact that we live in like a godless universe that uh, doesn't care about you and like th- this stuff is just happening all the time and it like doesn't actually mean anything. So like to, and to see it like grow in scale so like more and more people are just sort of senselessly wiped out and it's kind of like sort of this is like a misunderstanding because the people just don't really know that like you are sentient. Right. Like, mm-hmm. It's just, it's a bad feel. This is the question we get to every episode. Julian, how do you feel about religion in your cartoons? You want to see more of it, the same amount, or less? <laughs> I think that, you know, we have a certain number of stories that we draw from, and this one is clearly, it's this feels very Old Testament through and through. Yeah. Just the number, the sheer number of bad things that happen <laughs> with this one. Uh, and I, I definitely, I think Ter starts off as a Moses figure in every way you know, abandoned by his family, adopted by royalty, sent out into the wilderness to reconnect with his people, sent back to stage of rebellion. Uh, and then they they don't really follow through on that or they're missing some of the key Moses beats, I guess. I was raised pretty religious, so I'm like, I'm open to it. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. What is the spiritual message of this movie, though? See, that's super interesting because I definitely approach it from like an atheistic sensibility. I also was raised very religious. So into Catholic school, like all the way up till college. Uh, and honestly, I think there were like a lot of good things about that. So I'm not like going to shy away from a religious read, but movies like this, and I like mentioned the Jeff Vandermeer connection earlier where a lot of his stuff has to do with just like n- nature and like the mm-hmm. systems of nature mm-hmm. and sort of like why or like why not, like why things happen. Um, or that they don't need a reason. And, like, that is what this reminds me of, that it's just sort of like, damn, doesn't that suck? But it's, like, not anyone's fault. So it does, yeah, oh, he's, like, ignorant, and he's, like, cackling too hard, and that's how he dies, and it's a bummer. But I also sort of feel like it's just like, oh, that could be anybody. Like, that could be yeah. anyone. And, like, just that stuff just ha- there's um There's a whole sequence when they're in the big tree, and this, like, predator beast flies down, and he, like, woodpecks into the tree, basically, and he's, like, licking people out with, like, an anteater tongue. Right. And, like, he gets some people, and they, they end up societally killing it, which is great. And they're all, like, jubilant and celebrating and stuff, and some people died. And, like, it's just the way that that's treated is so, like, nobody mourns that moment. They just move on. And that just feels Mm -hmm. like that's nature. Like, that is just how it be. And that's really scary. And there's nothing we can do about it. And it's not, like, morally wrong for it to be happening. So I think that's That's something that this movie makes you think about. because because really, the strongest framing of this movie is that it's a nature documentary. And when you watch a crocodile eat a gazelle or something... They, they try to give it to you through an amoral lens. Mm-hmm. But you can't help it. You're an empathetic person. You can't help when you see something die. It's like, God, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's why I think it's really interesting that we spend some time in a drug household and we see how the kid treats them. And you could easily be like, that's me with my puppy. Like, mm-hmm. I totally get that. Uh, this is me with my rats. Yeah, I had some Christmas hats for him. It's no big deal. And uh, like... So you just get it. And the way the things that they talk about are things that we talk about, like the round table of godlike dudes just being like, yeah, I don't know, though. I mean, look at these photos. But like, can we really tell that they had a society? Mm." And one of them's like, I think you'll be surprised. So like they even had a guy at this Uh meeting being like, I actually think that they're much more intelligent than we're giving them credit for. And, like, they even just had a guy being representative of that voice. And I think it's really just 
All sides are kind of portrayed yeah, to some I, degree. It's like I don't think you're supposed to think of them as like horrible people, which it would be no, easy. I don't think so. To no. to make it out to be like this isn't. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that reminded me of the Holocaust, where I was like, yeah, okay, it makes sense to me that you know this was made by like Europeans, like animated um, with like a Czech animation company. A lot of this stuff kind of just like feels right for the time that it was made in, and it totally makes sense. But it didn't feel like. I'm straight up doing an allegory where, like, no. the drugs are the Germans. Like, it's not right. that. Well, and there are, like, kind of gas chambery. shit. There's, like, a couple things. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I think it's, like, I don't but think you're general. supposed to. And maybe this is where it muddles its message a little bit because it starts out with all of these specific things. And then halfway through the movie, it sort of turns into something else. And it's more just about, like, the struggle of man. And it, yeah. I don't know, kind of gets, like, too big in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you're supposed to associate this with a literal thing. I think it's a bunch of concepts and it's just like, and here's how some people think about other people now. And that right. kind of sucks and is freak. I don't know. But again, like, no, at no point does this movie say, and that's how you should feel about it. Like, it just doesn't do that. No. Until they kind of end. Well, I, I don't know how to parse this because to me, it feels like when they end with the two satellite planets, like, are they talking about like, the two state solution and that that's good. Yes. Essentially that is what that's, that's a message that completely obviously holds up terribly and open and (laughs) opens up so many questions that we just then fade out on. Yeah. Like you Uh, would think that they could just coexist. Go ahead. Well, I just, uh, yeah, it's like, why don't, why don't they just live on the same planet at the end? Like it's like, yeah, because then it's like, is it's like, it's probably not the right word, but they're in like segregation basically. Like it right. ended with the humans going to their own planet, and but they don't really tell you if that was better or even that that was a good thing for them to do. And it's an artificial planet they end up on, right? There's got to be yeah, ten they, minutes yeah. of this movie lying around somewhere that, <laughs> that no one's ever seen that makes it all make sense. There just has to be. Or I, I guess I really want to read the book. Well, that's the thing. Is it you know? Because what's the book? Twenty years before the making of this film, so is. Is the resolution of the story from that book, or is it, you know, or is updated it for at the times? Twenty years later, how the yeah. state of the world has changed. There, yeah, just I, I'd have to think a lot harder and like read some more internet. But that kind of <laughs> that connection to this, because you know, we hit we hit this. This is these things stick in my brain, and then I'm just broken. Like when we watched Akira, and we're talking about. Um, like Otomo being a child at the end of World War II and like the res- the resonating impact of like that moment in history just turning Akira into a certain thing just because it's like inevitable. Like he, it was just, it was part of him. It's going to come out if he gives, if he has the opportunity to make his own story. What of this is just sort of like trying to think of this kind of like a social revolution, like the, the the young people standing up in America, it's like very like Woodstocky and all that shit. But in in France, it's a little more like worker rights and stuff. But it's it's about like identity. Uh-huh. So it's like, is this movie a little bit of a dry run for some of these like young artists to try to like do a thing? And maybe it's a little muddled because it's really just a a first draft era of like. Hey, we can say our thing. Oh, I yes. guess I don't quite have my <laughs> ideas fully formed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I know it's. I mean, what's fascinating about this is, even as you know, uh, we're all visual arts oriented people, animation oriented people. 
And even in a movie that there's so much visually to talk about and there's so much visually ingenuity, it's like this story stuff is so vexing. And when it's not (laughs) done in a satisfying way, it makes it impossible to talk about the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's like, I, I hate that the, that story is so important. I really wish it wasn't, you know, I, I hate because every time I've ever gotten a note from a studio or something, it's like, make the story tighter. I'm like, it drives Shut me crazy. Up. Like, I just really just want to do cool drawings and I want to have a movie of cool drawings. And that's what this movie is. Mm-hmm. And it clearly it's like something about it's not working for me, even though every single drawing is cool, I guess. Okay. How about this question? What, what if we took out, took out all the dialogue and it was just the soundtrack and the visuals? Does it tell a better story? We'll have to try. I will be back in <laughs> 71 minutes. I think you could, you could definitely cut this into a 30-minute groovy visual experience that would be completely different. But it, it also may be the kind of thing that wouldn't linger in people's minds for 50 years and get sent back and forth on VHS. You know? Right, yeah. I feel like the soundtrack is definitely a, a heavy aspect of that, that the kind of avant-garde jazziness of the music really... Because it does funny moments where where I'm like, oh, that's a joke, where the audio will go like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and, but it's not quite exactly in that Looney Tunes-y way, the, car- the true cartoony way, but it's there. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's like the cool guy version of a whoop. To be honest, yeah, I laughed pretty hard um because there's kind it's of like the, silly there's a sexy times. ritual scene in this movie at the big tree where all the people eat glowing rocks and um i guess like go off in oh, the big and, like, like 90s raver orgy thing. yeah or, and like yeah. right before that happened like as all the people are going up and it's very mysterious and Terry's just like watching it from a distance because nobody invited him i guess <laughs> uh like the music is like sexy at that point and i was yeah. like it feels like something like sexual is about to happen. And then the ladies are just like, boom, like no right. clothes. And I was like, I knew it. Yes. So it was really funny that like the music is actually telegraphing so much. Mm-hmm. And I like didn't realize it until that moment. Right. I was getting a little bit of um. there's a couple, you know, some again, that idea that some of these things seem like they just exist in as like an, a single artifact. But I was I was getting some Dune yeah. energy from this because I, I think we're in. Uh, that uh, what's that guy's name? Jaredowski. Like, have you ever seen that documentary, the Jaredowski's Dune, like about the concept about art how he of make it? And it's it's Mobius who also has right. worked with um, Rene Lalou on a bunch of stuff. And yeah, it's also like the, yeah, the ultimate the movie made after this. illustrator guy. Yeah. So we're before this movie's coming out, like sort of before that that era. Mm-hmm. But it 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 definitely feels a little tied to it when they um mm-hmm. it's like when, right behind it. When they get out there like claw hooks and they tear down that bat yeah. creature. Yeah. That yeah. that's such an action scene. It's just a straight up like going to be ripped off a million times over action scene, right? But then they or go back they to fight the allegory with the fish and get trapped to them. Oh yeah, that I, is awesome. That's, that's probably the best <laughs> idea in the movie. Uh, yes oh for sure Yeah, i've never seen that before i've never seen anything like that before i'll be honest and like yeah i kind of feel the same way it'll pop up in a marvel movie someday and that'll <laughs> be the like, end my of, boy. A, a lot of these things i feel like um there's like in one of the star wars prequels they have a fight in like a coliseum 
Oh, yes. I remember yeah, it totally. well. <laughs> the Attack of the Clones has that. Yes, yes. It's not exactly the same, but there's a lot of this sort of like dinosaur-ish stuff where, oh, I'm tied to a velociraptor. Let's make this work. Like, <laughs> Right. This, Yeah, these sort of like faceless, mon- sharp, monstery creatures. Like, I, yeah. okay. Here, I got to hold this up because um, so my dad painted this at some point in history. His name was Renee Lollard. Um so, the, I mean, he, I don't know. Can you see it? I'm it's, seeing the Pepsi logo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is very Pepsi-like. No, but it's also. How surreal. Oh, there's like an alien bug guy there. So this. Oh, the, fuck, that's cool. It is cool. But it's, my dad wasn't a painter. Like, if anything, he was like a mechanic, engineering guy. But I, I feel like the, the, the look of this, the organic forms, which like seems to have like morphed out of like Art Nouveau, um, be, just became such an identity, I think, culturally for people, like a brand, like a brand, non-brand brand, that even someone like my dad would watch this movie and be like, I'm yeah. going to draw that landscape. Uh-huh. There, there's something, yeah. because when you pair that with the organic forms, like when they when they purge the colony and it's all like Neko wafer discs and like circles <laughs> and little rocket forms, it's like the geometric versus the organic in a, a kind of like really plain way. Like the the machinery versus like the land, which is a very Avatar ish thing. Oh, yeah. Coming back to that, but uh, I guess it's just a time another timeless story. I don't know if it's Old Testament exactly, but maybe older. Yeah, the, but just the urge to identify with this art style. It's been it's there. so appealing because you you see it and you feel like you could do it. I think is one big thing. Hmm. I think everybody yeah. has yeah. drawn and started doing a little cross hatching and maybe drawn an eyeball and been like, Hey, that's really good. Actually. Like, <laughs> it look, cause it looks like stuff that I've seen elsewhere. Right. Like, yeah. Well, I think that's kind of like what we're always talking about with the show. There's something that the cartoon appeal that you latch onto as a kid and like maybe pursue forever. I don't know, but uh-huh. you, it just, it seems like you can be there with those exactly. artists, right? Yeah. You can like be part of it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to be part of this Ohm tribe because they, again, don't seem to have any art. They've solved the – so at this point in the story, they've solved the box problem. They can read the boxes. They know what's going on. Uh, so is this a, a burden and a curse or – because they, they like – they go too far almost. Like they elevate. They reach. They climb the ladder of knowledge to the other planet. They discover the truth about uh, their enemies the and then they have truth. to make the choice to destroy them or not. And then the kind of like chaos reigns for a little while. Yeah, I actually love that because it also happens in like 60 seconds yeah, exa- or it's, less. As long as I just it, said it. it that's... Explaining it took longer than it happening in the yeah. show. I'm sorry. Well, I'm pretty sure that the, <laughs> at least the subtitle translation was like, and by accident we found out this. And it's like somebody sat on a control thing and shot <laughs> one of the statues and it explodes. And then they were like... Keep doing it. Bang, bang, bang. And that's what I think it's a little narratively unsatisfying that this movie ends with them basically pointing a gun at each other and being like, we got you. Like, we got your ass. Right. Give us our own planet. Like, we're people. And like, I, it makes sense that that has to happen, but it happens so quickly. I know. It's impossible it's- to overstate if someone hasn't seen this, how fast this happens. <laughs> it's just like, like oh, I, by the way, I paused the movie to go to the bathroom because I was like, we got to be halfway done. There was five minutes left. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, how? What's go- what's gonna? How are they gonna do this? Based on my memory of everything that happens next, and they do it. 
It makes you wonder with with this sort of stuff, you know, sometimes when you're telling a story, you know, you work it through, you come back to the beginning, you tighten up the beginning so it flows evenly. But if you just start at the beginning and go to the end and don't stop, maybe they just got better at telling the story or they like got bored with the sort of like ambi the the like slow pace and they're like, you know, what'll be cool is if all this shit just (laughs) happens right now. That is so true. I saw... This is totally a mishmash of thoughts. It's not very good. Sorry. But that's the theme I, this week. I saw somebody describe somewhere online describe the art style as like Salvador Dali mashed up with like Terry Gilliam, which I feel mm. like is very accurate. Yeah. And that plan, I, I will be honest that I'm a little design wise let down by the design of the Fantastic Planet, which just has like people Ouch. statues. It's a on. horizon line, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. like a fucking, what's the. Magritte. It's like a Magritte painting. It's just like, okay. here's, yeah. a, here's some people and like the bubbles go boop and then they just sort of like twirl in a circle together and yeah. like you're supposed to be like, oh, I see what's going on. It's a sex thing. And like I just was expecting the that planet to be more fantastic than the one that we've been on the whole time and it wasn't. And that also feels like they were just like, huh. Um, I'm going to go down to the museum and draw some statues Mm -hmm. and we'll put those at the end of the thing. Isn't that the problem with kind of every cinematic sci-fi story? It's like trying when a character reaches that great beyond or wherever they go, the like interstellar moment. It's like, how do you portray that? And it doesn't seem lame because once you stray too far from like familiar physics or whatever, you just lose people. Yeah, you right? got to close the door on it because you also can't manifest something that's actually that interesting because it's like a cosmic. So how, how would you guys do the Fantastic Planet if you got if you were brought in and were like, "Hey, we're almost done with this movie. We're at the part where they get to the planet. What does it look like?" Uh, they're all rats. They're all rats. <laughs> Honestly, this is like a bullshit answer, but it's also true. I think I would just hard cut roll credits. <laughs> like they <laughs> land on the planet and then it's just fucking over. Mm. You get yeah. to decide if they survive or not. I'm done. Like, and I, whatever you can imagine is way better than what I'm going to be able to actually put there. Well, I know you're like joking, but to be fucking but like, but serious. But I'm kind of not though. Well, yeah, I think because. I didn't need to finish this story. I think, I think a because the story in the first act. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, it, there's nothing to invest in, right? It's like yeah. you'd have to really pay me a lot to to bother dealing with it because where it ends up. <laughs> well, they are paying you, know, you a lot in this hypothetical. It's like whatever you ask for. Okay. Well, my, my heart wouldn't adult. be there. I definitely care a lot more <laughs> watching like <laughs> young Tear like pull at his collar. Like that, the moment when, um, yeah. when she tries to summon him back and he's got the headband and you're like, you know, that's like an actual, this movie does have some like emotional beats that if you yeah like updated the rendering or whatever you could really pull some tears out of people but then well, by the we, end it's too zoomed we, out oh, wizard of Oz style and that okay. is the end he the fantastic planet was was home all along oh was in our hearts yeah it was, in our, it was the friends we made <laughs> along the way it was the fifth <laughs> element there's just a list of all those things. Was all a dream? Like yes. ellipsis. Was all a dream? Friends along the way. I like, do love the idea though. Like, yeah, what if they went there and it was just Earth? Because they clearly know about Earth. Oh, this, that's a little Twilight like, is, is that a French play on words? Because isn't Terre Earth in French? Yes, they yeah. actually make a point the, of this. The first time twice. I, I saw this, that's what I thought. Is that yeah. this was supposed to be the origin of Earth? But it's not really. 
No, because no. they literally have this. I actually love how they did this too, and we didn't really talk about it. It's such a little thing, but I was just like, this is kind of a neat way to handle this. But they have like a little slideshow during one of those presentations of like the the leader drog people, mm-hmm. and they're just like, look at all the stuff that we found on Earth. Like it kind of looks like they have an organized society. Oh yeah. And because they don't literally have <laughs> photos in this, they just have like black and white like really low detail sketches right. of like a stone head in a field and stuff right. like that. <laughs> or like a brick yeah. wall. And I'm like, whoa, like that is actually a cool way of handling it that still makes it feel really removed. But you have straight up been to Earth. Like, did you guys get them from Earth? And then they just I like- I totally missed that. It's it's very fleeting. No, it's right. It's, it's very unremarkable imagery because they're like, oh, look, they were an advanced civilization. It's like a railroad track that just goes- <laughs> it's, Yeah, it's like nothing. Or a brick wall that's broken. It sort of implies though, I or guess- Or a book that's like, ripped. Yeah, maybe you're supposed to gather that like human society had ended on Earth. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot to go on at that mm-hmm. point. I think we're still in the- uh, um, Planet of the Apes era, yes. where people's minds are blown mm-hmm. as hell if it ended it. But it's Earth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, TV tropes, I guess, just ruined everything. Now. But yeah, it's I still, guess, <laughs> you know, we got good, still good chestnut. You know, if you have nothing else. I think that's the thing that makes this movie a little easy to joke about is it's quite earnest. Whereas like we've seen all this stuff before at this point. So we can like juggle it around in our conversation because it's it's been so sort of watered down. But it's true, though. People were still stuck with a lot of these same story beats. And the only way to keep them is to have throw a sarcastic character in there to be like, well, sorry, dude. Or like, whatever, (laughs) here we go. Or like, you got this. Or, you know, whatever Uh things cartoons say. It's the only way to to play all these like H.G. Wells beats and and all this stuff. Because we can't get away from it. We can't escape the fantastic planet. And nor will I. No, you love it. It's your new... um, I live here now. And I'm fluent in French. Did we... (laughs) Julian, have you talked about what your final scene would be in this film? If you, oh if yeah, I that's going to do the ending. I do it I'd good. Cut out a lot. I would. Ne- I would have probably never leave Tiwa's house. I would have it be the Tiwa and Terra story. Oh, uh, totally. Or, mm. or I'd have him. I guess like uh, it's, it's a completely different story, but a compelling story for me would be that he goes out into the wilderness and he has to choose between living freely in discomfort and living in subjugation with all his little trinkets and stuff. Uh, yeah. With his weird little balls of food that he gets. <laughs> yeah. And so, and obviously I guess the only way to end it is that he goes and he lives with the, with the humans. Cause the other one's the wrong ending. I think we, we people, us people these days, like we want, there's like a shift towards the smaller story, right? I feel like yeah. so many cartoons are about, a person and their friends trying to go to a concert, like in Turning Red or something. They're not as much about like society. Here we go, folks. Strap in because I got <laughs> thoughts. It's like, no, like what's it like to be to have a relationship yes. with somebody? I also I, I want to say one thing I really appreciate about this is that it is in no way setting up for a sequel, trying to build a oh multiverse, God. trying to set up a franchise. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm watching an Amazon show right now where it's like they clearly have taken an hour's worth of material and stretched it into eight hours. And Impossibly this painful. goes so far in the other direction in a way that's really refreshing. And even though I have all these problems with the story, I love that it's 70 minutes long. And it's I agree. Like, I, would I really would love it if we could somehow get back to that. Yeah. Some movies that come out, if not all of them. I am constantly having conversations with people about how I cannot watch television anymore. And it's because of that. I just cannot. And like, 
at sometimes, you know, something breaks through, but just like, it's so much of a commitment. And I just want to watch stuff that ends yeah. soon. This is such a backwards way of what it used to be. Like, I feel like something like this was like, don't waste my time with your weird, like, surrealist 70 minutes. I got, I could watch three Ninja Turtles cartoons in that time. But now, like, content is so just, like, stretched. Diffused, yeah. Good God. Th- this feels like a, oh, it's quite an efficient uh, short piece. Uh, it's it's just such a, a reversal of what people how people gauge their time and like how, what we give how right. we value our yeah, day. I, I feel a little bad because I'm taking this course. I've talked to you about it, and it's a good course for what it is. Um, it's like Project City doing a course on. I think it's Storytelling 101 is the course name, but it's basically like at the end of the the show, if you're doing the homework and everything, you have like a 20 minute pilot or like something to pitch at the end. And honestly, I mean, we are like in the first quarter of that course and I've just completely lost interest. And it's not because of the quality of the course again, but because I realized I just don't want to do that. I just don't (laughs) want to. Like, I really would rather just like have a day job and make my own stuff because it's just so exhausting to have to like, wrap yourself around a tree trying to like make it viable and yeah. like and then just to it's great I mean, we all know this but it's really just mind melting how much like screwery that there is that goes into like my thing like once you're in that world like are you really even making what you want anymore probably mm-hmm. for a lot of people i cannot speak for them but i just like i just don't want to do it mm. and i won't but i I'm just with think you that, on like, that yeah yeah i want more of this stuff like, oh, you made it weird. Yeah, but this know. guy's freaking dentist or whatever and made it. It's so inspiring. Because <laughs> like, I've been through this development too. stuff too. And it sucks even worse than, like, no one's ever said it's good or fun to go through development. And it's so much worse than the way even people talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think I already said this, but the thing that is so inspiring about this movie is it presents an alternate reality where anyone could make an animated movie, you know? Or where, where, you know, a tradesperson could just kind of do this on the at night. And in theory, yeah, the dream. we should be there. We should, there should be, you know, with everyone having a computer, there should be a million people like Don Hertzfeld who can make a movie on their own. Yeah. You know, not just like a handful. Right. It's like what happened to this, like, this, like, movement of the youth in revolt of, like, this time. Like, what did it, what did it yeah. become? I guess it became an aesthetic that can be just a TV show. <laughs> and then you, how do you re- revolt if they steal your identity? I don't know. Now we're getting into the big questions. That's exactly what they wanted though. <laughs> That's exactly what Lelou was, was getting at. <laughs> if only he knew how much worse things were going to get on earth. Oh, this movie would be, there'd be a lot more bat winged monsters just circling. Does this look like the upside down? <laughs> I'm just looking at the screen right now. Is this like stranger things basically? But like, for the 70s? I guess if you, like, copied and pasted it, like, 72 times, <laughs> then, yeah, it would look like Stranger Things. Yeah, I think we did it. I mean, sure, I have 12 more pages of notes, but... Can we only uh, go through one go, page? Go Fantastic Planet style. Do them fast. <laughs> yeah, just be like, and then <laughs> we blew it all up. And then I discussed the French labor aesthetics and how the leisure class was rising, and that's what made the drank so bored all uh, the time. Oh, the bourgeois. <laughs> I did have a NECA wafers joke. 
That's that gone. makes sense to me. I did like that they were literally like, here's my like roach pellets or whatever to like get all the people. <laughs> the only thing we yeah. didn't do was we <laughs> didn't just describe every creature in this movie because I feel like I would have just loved to hear the, uh, each monster verbalized. Okay, I do well, think... what's, your, what's your absolute favorite, each of you, what's your favorite thing? One thing visually. Okay, this is how we wrap up the show for okay, real. Yeah, we I describe like our yeah. monsters. Who starts? I want you guys to go first so I I'll can go first. I'm already talking. say what you're going to say. If... <laughs> okay, I... For, I, I am most sympathetic. I'm most emotionally connected to the the little veiny egg that cracks open and the Aww, weird little yeah. like wormy bird leggy guy comes out and then cut back. Yeah. There's a big thing and it eats it, but it makes a little cute sound. And I'm like, the world is strange. That's what I thought as a, as a kid. <laughs> the best part about that is like, I was like, it's going to eat him. <laughs> like it sort of and has sure a beat where it's like, maybe it's the mom yeah. or whatever. And then it just... But stupid me in a trailer park in Florida did not know that. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Okay, Jillian. I think my favorite scene in the movie, my favorite sequence is like the field of crystals that she takes him out to that like, I I don't even understand what's supposed to be happening. She like sprays crystals onto things and then they grow really quickly and then shatter. And it's like a whole field of interestingly drawn plants and yeah i thought were they like whistling them apart like i couldn't tell the sound is what's so cool and yeah it really it feels like crystally and um this is like to me that's the movie like delivering on its promise like in the most satisfying way where it's just every you want to you want to pause every single frame and really look at it and really live in that world and it answers to this weird sci-fi logic where of course you would whistle and the crystals would break. And of course that would mean something. And of course they would shimmer and it's new to you in the way that it's new to, to uh, tear. And yeah. that's, and that's kind of one of the only times that we get that and seeing, you know, seeing the world through tears eyes where it's new and he's a human, but this stuff is not for him is, is really what fantastic planet is promising to me. And this is where it delivers. And I and I think that I mean I just I think the drawings throughout are beautiful, but I think though like whatever effect they did to make those crystals shimmer is like something a little extra. And I yeah. know they, I know they had some crazy method for doing it. The flare it has like actual like prismatic flare on it. Yeah. Right. I feel like we often meditate like the Don Bluth indulgence of like yeah. a a, spe- a hand rendered special effect. Yeah. Or like a weird like warbly piece of glass placed in front of a camera. <laughs> oh we my love God. that shit. Love that. <laughs> so good. Mwah. All right, Caitlin, what's your... Well, I feel like Julian's is really good, so I have a dumb one, actually. I will say, part two-part answer, because I'm cheating. One, just aesthetically, I do really like the wing monster with the tube tongue. I feel like that's just an easy thing, and so it's not, like, emotionally wrenching to me. I just think that's, like, a badass creature design and, like, would make an awesome tattoo. Like, I just really like it. Mm-hmm. He's really cool. And this is a silly answer, but also kind of true, and I can't believe I didn't have a chance to mention it earlier, so I'm mentioning it now. It was one of the creature vignettes where it's some kind of weird little guy in a cage, like an organic yes. cage, and he has like a branch nose that mm-hmm. goes out outside the bars, <laughs> and he's grabbing like these little bird bee things are flying through the air in the land because they think it's a tree, and then he like grabs them and like throws them down to the ground really hard, and they die, and like that's all he's doing and we pan down to like a field of bodies of these things but the best part about it is that he's going <laughs> the whole time <laughs> and i just was like 
This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, he's just he like, kills <laughs> them all. He's not eating them or anything. They're just dead. He's just pumped about it. And he's just like, <laughs> like I don't know. I just thought that was wonderful. That's all. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. The we fantastic fade. planet. We on that. Um, da, 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 da. that was all very good. Julian, do you have anything that you're like, I got to say that if – they don't let me. I'm going to freak out. Please don't. Or did you I, did freak you? out? I want to say at the end that I like this movie, uh, even though <laughs> it may seem like I picked a movie just to shit talk it for an hour and a half. No, no. I don't think you did at all. We're very con- We did a good I job. I like it. And more than that, I like that it was made. And I, I wish that we could trade some of the movies that are made now for, for things like this. I, I just think it's so beautiful that this guy did this even though a lot of the choices are in or maybe because the choices are insane. I think it's, it's a beautiful promise of independent animation. Well, that's all for now. Uh, Julian, tell the audience where to find you. Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at at Glanderco, or after you've finished watching fantastic planet on HBO max, Uh, You can go right over to the show Summer Camp Island and watch the first episode of season four, which I guest directed and animated. And you can decide if all my smack talk about animation holds up against my actual uh, process and work. And you can check out our episode archive and other facts at cartoonfeelings.com. Tweet at us or join us on Instagram. You'll find both at Feeling Cartoons. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider taking the time out of your day, 71 minutes, to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or review or share us with your friends or just acquaintances. You don't have to be close. Strangers. Uh, Yeah, anyone. Um, And if you leave a funny or cool review, we'll read it on the show. None of you have crossed the threshold so far. It's quite intimidating the way you say it. Please. uh, Yeah, it's just my personality. Okay, there it is. We have such natural charisma, I feel. Just threatening people. I don't know, being disdainful of the audience. It's hard to suddenly apply structure to an <laughs> absolutely chaotic scenario. So that's, that's the, the magic of the end of this show, is the hard wall it hits. <laughs>